And now, it's time for a Star Trek story. We've been speaking about Kanye West. <laughs> Recently. Just everyone listening, just... <laughs> Where's this going? Yeah, we've been talking about Kanye West. And, you know, um, humans have an amazing capacity to just latch on to whatever story seems to work in their mind. <laughs> and swear by it until the point where Adidas cancels you, you know? Okay. Yeah. I see where you're going. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the story about Kanye. I was like, Jared, are you are you about to no, side with Kanye no, right now? You know, it's amazing how much as humans we can really just believe whatever story we seemingly want to believe. I see. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so this um leads into the question I have for you today, Aaron. Mm. And we get a little metaphysical with this one. Ooh. Um my question is, do stories exist outside of the mind? Yes. Okay. They do. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> That's it. No. Yeah. Kinda. Uh, because of the way humans perceive time, mm. I guess the stories are there already, and we just kind of experience them and connect those dots. Mm. And so we don't create it. It's kind of all out there for us to perceive and understand rather I, than create. I think so. Mm. I, I even question creation as being our own. As like we talked about with Scott a little bit, like where does that even come from? Is that purely human or is, is that being zapped into our brain from, from another dimension? Something else. Or another realm, yeah. Something else. Can we, we just um, have some kind of, our brains can just kind of to some degree perceive yeah. what's out there. It's all just trying to make sense of that crazy experience we call life. Mm. I guess we'll see if Star Trek, though, has what it takes to answer these big questions. Yes, we're finally, as much as we've joked about asking all the big questions on Star Trek. That was a good one. Um, I like that question a lot. <laughs> we're, we're finally getting to some of the big questions, actually, folks. Oh, boy. Welcome to Star Trek Stories. This is episode 19, The Big Goodbye. The Big Goodbye. As always, uh, I am your host, Jaron Hatch, and I'm joined by my co-host, Aaron Cole. Hello, Aaron. Hello, Jaron. How you doing? So good. How you doing? Yeah. Once more under the breach, dear friend. Last time we watched Haven, um, that was our first Waxana Troy episode. Um, she'll be back. Um, oh, good. Not in this section of the podcast, but she will be back. Um, we are moving on, of course, to new episodes today, and uh, we do have a new guest host with us. Um, sitting in the captain's chair, joining us today is our good friend, Adriana Lemke. Hey, hey, hey. Hello. Adriana, you weren't an honorary member of the boys' house. You were an official member of the boys' house. You were jo you joined us in our little adventures, in Boys House: The Next Generation, yes. the second one. Yeah, the the two point round yeah. round dose. Uh, for a second, in my mind, you said two point bueno. <laughs> two point bueno. <laughs> I kind of I kind of love that. <laughs> two point good. <laughs> <laughs> it's two point bueno. Yeah, officially on the roster of the Boys House, we were in it. We're mm -hmm. in it. In it to win it. It was a bigger class of house mm. than the original boys' house. We I had think. some good times. Yeah. I fondly, fondly remember. Mm -hmm. And was a a lovely 
space as like the the basically the only female in the space minus our honorary Mindy. members coming in and out but oh. only full time which had its um its ups and downs mm-hmm. as one might imagine but mm-hmm. also um i must say it was a good time for me as an individual to just be myself and like be like my messy loud like whoever i want like it was a very safe space just to take up space to mm. be one of the guys in a way to like lean into that kind of energy which mm-hmm. i enjoy yeah yeah it was definitely a space of like self-discovery mm-hmm. like growth for sure we were all figuring it out i feel like in a lot of ways yeah um we all had our little things and niches and i feel like my impression as I think about like, what was my impression of Adriana as we're all living together? I'm like, I feel like so many times I have so many memories of like walking over to your guys' side of the place. You could be downstairs or upstairs, but like you would be oftentimes working on some little arts and craft project or um, something with flowers or something very hands-on or like whether it was like spirituality stuff with like stonework or whatever, just this very kind of hands-on kind of thing in a way that wasn't quite the case with as much with other people. Um, do you do you see yourself as kind of like an arts and craft person or like a crafty person? Like what is that like for you? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I grew up with three sisters and we all are very crafty, very like build your own, make it yourself with each of our different focuses. I lean into the like visual arts side of it. Love my time painting. Um, In fact, Abby, one of my partners will tell you (laughs) that her first impression of me was at the boy's house. She came over and we were all hanging out upstairs and she talks about how like I was the person who just was hanging out and then I went downstairs like I'm I'm gonna go grab something I'll be back and I just show up with like a pile of like flower paper making kit it's like cool I'm gonna do this while we chat someone might have been playing a board game or something I don't even know we were all hanging out um, and that's yeah, definitely very much me. I enjoy I enjoy creating things and I enjoy making things aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. nice to like have control over a space, a vase, a canvas and make it what you will. Yeah, that was one of the things I always loved about having you over is um that sense of helping create the space. I remember there were many times where like maybe Jake was doing the music. We'd be having a conversation. Sometimes you'd come in just with Sage, just start burning <laughs> it and just kind of looking at us and like not, nodding at us. Just maybe it, you might get some stone and like pass it to all of us. It was all about for you creating like a scent, like helping to further the sensory experience that we were all having a lot of times. And that was always so fun to me. Just like it brought a real sense of magic. Mm. Yes, to, bring to in the magic. Bring in the magic. She's uh, a witch. She's a witch. witch. <laughs> she turned me into mute. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like one of the enjoyable things about being human is we get a full sensory experience. So mm-hmm. if we're going to listen to something, 
I'm gonna grab a beverage. I'm gonna make some tea. I personally probably just need a a sage cleanse, so I'm just gonna share it with the space. Mm-hmm. Hold a nice rock. Feel grounded. I guess that's um, kind of a good segue into the question we asked earlier. Um, do stories exist outside of the mind? Um, you know, we've been talking a little bit about like creating these kind of like spaces, shared spaces together. I think some storytelling, to some, in my mind, that's kind of to some degree part of what storytelling is. A shared space. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on such an idea? Do stories exist outside the mind? Mm-hmm. Is it just? Is it just like your neurons firing mm. and just telling you a like little imagination story, or is there something else to it? Ooh, that's tricky. I feel like I could like argue it either way, but what comes to mind for me with stories is how central they are to humanity like that's how we survive that's how we exist that's how we give meaning and purpose whether that story is like a story of this is how something works so that you can survive it or a story of like who we are that we're passing down to each other I think it's one of the most powerful art forms that we have um and I would say that it kind of reminds me of like, what's the the silly question of like, if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there, does but, it make a sound? Mm-hmm. I think the stories exist outside the mind because the I think the magic in the story is our perception of it, is our retelling of it, is our sharing of it. But the stories are happening regardless. And there's many stories I'm sure that are happening that aren't being witnessed. I think the witnessing and the sharing is where the magic comes, Mm. but they're still happening. I mean, like big archetypal stories too, like mythology and things like those, Mm -hmm. those still exist. Right. But I do think the perception of them is the, the key part, Mm -hmm. the sharing and witnessing of the stories. It's what actually makes it a story. Mm. Interesting. Um, but I guess we can see if this episode of Star Trek gives us any clues. <laughs> Will you answer this for us, Star Trek? Please, feed us. <laughs> feed me, Star Trek Daddy. <laughs> Tell me everything I need to know. Um, Adriana, you grew up, I think, with Star Trek in your house, but weren't really like a, like a dedicated fan. Yeah, no, I would not be so bold as to claim being a dedicated fan. But yeah, my dad watched it a lot growing up. Um, me growing up, he watched it. You know what I mean? Yes. yes. <laughs> it was in the house. Um, I definitely remember, um, catching bits and pieces, if not full episodes, especially of, oh, I hope I don't say it wrong. I think it's Next Generation. Yeah. With Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the chunk of Star Trek that's like nostalgic to me. Mm-hmm. I've definitely watched more than that, but that's the chunk that feels kind of homey. Yeah, so we are watching Star Trek The Next Generation. We are watching The Big Goodbye. Um, This aired January 11th, 1988. 
This is the 13th episode produced for the first season. We're still right smack dab in the middle. Um, this is the first holodeck, like real holodeck episode, or like the holodeck goes wrong episode, to be more specific, which becomes its own little mini subgenre in Golden Age Star Trek. Hmm. What's the holodeck up to this week? <laughs> um, we Now, we've the holodeck has been introduced up up to this point we've seen it um but i think this is like the first episode that really kind of focuses in on on the holodeck for an episode and shows what it can like really really do and they didn't have anything like this on like the original series this was as far as like next generation goes and like something new that it was bringing to the table the holodeck was certainly like yeah something new that it was bringing to the table i mean computer games were just becoming mainstream Mm -hmm. you know for sure so what does that look like in the 24th century or whatever? Hundreds of years. Yeah. yeah. What is, what do video games look like? Um, Exciting. I love it. Well, they go wrong all the time and people die. Yeah. You can actually die <laughs> in your video games now. What progress we've made. <laughs> the stakes are real. That's kind of what a lot of people just wanted the whole time. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see what um, the next generation does with the holodeck. Um, if they do anything fun with it. Um, this is your invitation to watch at home. Star Trek The Next Generation is streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You can find it by bringing up Season 1, Episode 12, and we will be back after the big goodbye. into the street, I actually saw automobiles. Automobiles? Mm -hmm. An ancient earth device used primarily for transportation. Ah. Also seen as a source of status and virility. Often a prime ingredient in teenage mating rituals. Teenage mating rituals? From that window, I could see an entire, um, uh, city block. That's right. Smells. You make it sound so real. Well, that's how it felt. Incredible. Hmm? Oh. Well, I'm, uh, I'm gonna go again.
Only this time, I'm going to dress the part. Why not come with me? Yes, I'd like that. I want to take that uh, 20th century historian. Um... Who, Whalen? Yes, Whalen. I bet he knows more about Dixon Hill than I do. Shall I tell him, sir? Invite him, Mr. Data. This is supposed to be a recreational activity. The sense of reality was absolutely incredible. When that woman kissed me, it was so... Exciting? Real. We just finished watching the big goodbye. Um, in case you didn't watch it with us or have never seen this episode, essentially what happens in this episode, um, the Enterprise has to make contact with this alien species. Captain Picard has to get this greeting super specific in order to make peaceful contact. He's feeling a little burnt out, decides to go kill some time in the holodeck and lives out his fantasies as a private detective in the 1940s. Shenanigans ensue, the holodeck breaks down, and the holodeck becomes real and deadly, and Picard has to get his way, get his crew out of there so he, he can talk to the aliens and make peace. <laughs> that sums it up. That sums it up. That's it. Adriana, the big goodbye. How are we feeling? I think this is one of my favorite versions of Data. <laughs> I really <laughs> got a good kick out of the lackey data. I don't know if that's what you'd call him. Like the 1940s. Yeah, me too, boss. I'd love to take a game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He just bought in a thousand percent to the role. <laughs> um, so that was a kick. Um, it's interesting to see an episode of television that's centered around the main character finding a moment of escapism. Like... The majority of the episode is the captain avoiding his job. Yeah. I feel that. I resonate <laughs> with that. You get it, John Luke. 
<laughs> it's doctor prescribed too. Like at the beginning, like you're taking a break. Yeah. yeah. He gets prescribed mm-hmm. to go. Yes. Yeah. He's like, no, this is for recreation. Don't tell him that we're, he doesn't have to go. This is, what is, what does Picard say? He says it's a time to have fun. It's all hang out. It's time. all recreation. Recreational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Escapism mm-hmm. is kind of what the episode is about with with responsibility looming, like very serious responsibility looming, you know, and they yeah. but then they can't get out of escapism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've escaped. Yeah. Mission into, accomplished, really. Um a little too much. Escape to the point where th- that escapism reality now becomes too real. Mm-hmm. A little too real. A little too high stakes. Yeah, the lines get blurred toward the end very quickly and very seriously. Um, very interesting. Aaron, initial thoughts coming off of the big goodbye? Oh, man, I love the costumes. Um, I love Beverly in this episode. She was having so much fun. Um, Gates McFadden. Mm-hmm. She was killing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and her pink coat was amazing. Uh, Swallowing the gum. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty solid departure episode. I mean, like, it's one of those where, like, the B plot flips and becomes the the main plot, and then what was the actual important issue kind of takes a backseat. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they could have maybe hyped up the importance a little more of the aliens on the planet. They mm. they, they got left on the bench. Mm-hmm. But that was okay, because the Dixon Hill stuff was really fun. Mm-hmm. I love a good holodeck episode. Uh it's fun to see the actors get to play after being confined to their roles for so long. It's fun to be able to see them do something different without having to leave the show and take another job. I feel like that's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Getting to even just see Patrick Stewart. It's fun to see him. Like when he starts going in there, he's wearing the uniform, but then he gets to wear the costume and go in there and it gets to bring out a little more dynamicism from Patrick Stewart as a performer, even though he's still playing card mm-hmm. it's, it informs their characters too like to see how into it they get and and how seriously they take their roles and whatever like yeah you, you learn a bit about Picard and data and yeah data takes it the most seriously mm-hmm. he gets super into it when he's like the artificial man he gets super into it he's from south he america does. yeah this one is always one of my favorites to revisit um is it the single greatest episode of television ever? No, but it is a very it is a very interesting kind of unique episode. Like and this is not something you would see on ninety nine percent of television shows, and they really lean into this idea of escapism. It's it, it is this kind of allegory for escapism, and then like with responsibility, re- real world responsibility looming. But then it asks, it kind of indirectly asks these questions just like but like the situation they end up in in this fantasy world ends up becoming very real and it starts to really blur the lines of to like what what is real and what is fiction mm. um I I love that idea it's like yeah they're all play acting but if you really think about it it's like 
um, so much of like them on the bridge and everything. There's a specific vocabulary and culture about being on the bridge of the enterprise or even us here being in this podcast studio, just like every little situation has a specific culture, like shared experience that comes with it. And you all sort of adjust and plug into it. And them all play acting together. It's like, it's no more or less valid when it, when it comes down to it, it is for recreation or whatever, but in terms of the reality that's happening, it's no more real or less real than everyday life. And it brings up some interesting questions about like, so what is real life? Mm-hmm. What are, what are we escaping from? And is this, is this just, are we just escaping from reality or is this in itself reality? You know, it, 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 it indirectly brings up some interesting questions about what some of this all is and where are the lines, where are the lines in all this stuff? It's yeah. an interesting kind of thing to consider. I mean, I think you just like, hmm. I think it's possible, at least for me, I discovered parts of myself through pretend. Mm-hmm. The circumstances, the script, the scenario that I might have been acting out on stage was pretend, but I, it was still me. Yeah. Still me up there. Like I discovered some of my queerness on stage. Parts of me that was like, oh, oh, that's, that resonates. That feels true. That's a piece of me that I haven't stumbled into yet. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about dogs earlier. And when dogs play fight with each other, it's not terribly dissimilar from when humans play with each other. To some degree, there is this like, you know, the dogs in a pack do that. I mean, they have a good time and blah, blah, blah. It creates bonding, but it also helps them in a safe environment understand real life. But you will be getting into actual fights kind of a thing and like it's a much more survival kind of a thing but for us it's like when we play like remember as a kid you guys want to play house right you know it's it almost seems insane now why the hell that's every day for me but as a kid it's not in you aren't you aren't winning the bread you aren't making the meals and you cannot as a kid you to some degree understand this is even living in this house all of us as a family somehow this is all kind of play a very specific kind of play and you recognize that as a kid to the sense that you ask your friends would you like to play house because you know to some degree it's kind of this game you adopt the roles and blah 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 it's very interesting um and i think this episode kind of to some degree speaks to that kind of a thing like why we even do stories in the first place. The shared experience that helps us find meaning and understanding in ourselves and a larger reality. Um, yeah, very interesting. I like, and I feel like it's, it's, it's a, it's a super fun, silly episode. Um, but I think it really indirectly kind of just gives you some things to think about and consider. And I love that about this episode. It doesn't, the closest it comes to specifically addressing it is that little scene with Picard and his holodeck friend at the end. Oh yeah. 
which I think is like that's the standout moment of the whole episode when it all crystallizes as to what this what 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 has this all been about? The and, look of fright on the guy's face, like, am I still going to be able to go home to my wife and daughter when I go home? He's like, I honestly don't know. Yeah, he's like, ah, and like the hollow deck program has an existential crisis right there. Crazy, crazy moment. It makes me think of um, the Four Agreements. Mm. If you've read the book. Mm-hmm. If you haven't, essentially one of the main premises is that we're all in a dream. And part of a dream is that we've agreed to other people's dreams. Again, essentially the idea of like, we've told ourselves a story of what life is. And we've come into this life and been taught this is what life is. And this is how we life. This is how we do the things. And we say, okay. I accept that life story and I'm going to play out that life story until we don't. And then we try and shift it. But, um, and then you make your own life, create your own self and your own life based on, yeah, the agreements. Mm -hmm. It's a really good book. Yeah. Yeah. So just that idea of like the story that they step into when they're in the holodeck is one that they agree to at that time to like, let's, let's be in this dream for a minute before we have to go back to our other dream reality. And at the end of it, it's just what, what story are we telling each other? Yeah. We've been doing all this responsibility stuff and work and blah, blah, blah. We, here we are on the weekend tomorrow. We all go back to jobs and blah, 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 like our job selves. And that's like, that's what we do. That's all. But then like the weekend, it's like, yeah, we can do this and this and this. And, it's and it's just it's it's interesting to consider though like we've all decided this is the more frequent reality but then we've built in these times whether it's the weekend or something else where we allow ourselves these other realities these other things we can step into and like this is just the thing now and that's just like yeah everyone agrees yeah of course why would that not be a thing <laughs> very interesting right like this is the acceptable time to play mhm this is the the period of time where you can be some sort of irresponsible as long as you're back to it at this time on this day. As long as we monetize it, you <laughs> paid for it, you get benefits from it. Yep. Then it's okay. Yeah, but Picard's got to do it back to his little speech at the end. I love how quick it is. They just, <laughs> like the interactions with this alien what where do they the uh, the Harada. The Harada where it's so brief. There was like, there he just comes on and says the thing, and they say you have honored us, and that's it. That's it. That's what he was procrastinating. <laughs> but also, like, I don't blame him. Like, I kind of, it's satisfying to see him take control of his time by stepping into a different time, and how funny that that time which was arguably a somewhat tumultuous time era of history. I mean, at one point they're, you know, we're in the forties, they're reading, they're, we're recovering from world war one. We're headed into world war two. It's 41. Yeah. 1941 for the States. Yeah. And he, that's his escapism. Like how excited they get when they're, when they're being held up. Just grins and just like, oh my god, guys, this is awesome! I love this room. (laughs) Um, 
So the star of the episode, I would argue, is the holodeck itself. The fact that there's this room that can just do this, and it's so good at replicating reality that you can potentially be trapped in it, and you can die in it. That's how good it is. Um, and it's a very unique storytelling device. Again, it's like, this is, even compared to, like, we, we, we briefly mentioned Black Mirror while we, while we were watching it, but even compared to Black Mirror, this this still feels like a unique idea. Like you don't just walk into a room and suddenly you're just in a place at a, in a specific time. What's your feeling on um, like the holodeck, like, like as an idea, as a storytelling element, like what's our feeling on just like the, the holodeck and what it can do and what it can be, whether this be, be this episode or just generally. I, I want it to be real so bad. I wonder if that blinds me from the fact that it's kind of a gimmick mm. a little bit. Mm. I, lo- I love the holodeck episodes. Mm. They always fascinate me. I think it's just like that play within a play aspect is it's a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. Do, th- do you guys think we'll ever, whether it be in our lifetime or not, do you think we'll ever get to a point where something like that will be the case? You can just walk into a room and there's no there's no visor you're wearing. There's no suit you're wearing. You just walk into a room and you're just in that world now. Perhaps not. Maybe. The skeptical side of me says no. But the, also the other part of me that knows that technology grows exponentially is like, I don't know, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe some version of that. Maybe not that in that same way Mm -hmm. Um, with the priorities that our society tends to have. I would imagine something like that being funded for military reasons. Unfortunately, Mm, that would, I think that's how it would happen. It'd have to have obviously like a lot of energy, smart minds and money behind it. And I think that might, as our country has shown, we're willing to put some money into that. But I think budget. that's like that terrible double-edged sword of tech is like military funding breeds such technological innovation. I hate mm. it. Mm-hmm. I think the ideal version of it, though, if we could fund it in a beneficial way, would be a very therapeutic version, like where it would be a space that could be utilized to learn um, to explore options, um, to get perspective on different ways of living, to yeah, kind of travel in a sense to different test realities. Mm. Yeah, you had brought up Aaron while we were watching the episode. It's like there are potential interesting applications, potentially healthy applications for the holodeck. Oh, yeah. And I think so much of how it's easy to talk about the holodeck, it's like just getting lost in fantasy. But going on what you were saying, Adrian, it's like this allows you, it's like mushrooms. It's something that allows you to step out of yourself and like all your current conceptions of reality and explore a different, I mean, this in mushrooms case, like brain chemistry, but that is valuable, like to be able to explore ideas in a different environment. And something like a holodeck is a very similar kind of idea, but even you were talking about it's like you can get a lot of exercise there just by playing a game like that. Right. Like 
just for your body, that could potentially actually be really good. You're engaging in like being like if the more and more like you go up against these situations where it's like your life is on the line and you know it's not. But that could actually be pretty good for you having to face some situations and consider what might I do in X, Y, or Z situation for when I, who knows, maybe have to do this in the real world. For sure. I mean, that's a big part of the reason why I play the games I play now Mm. is for that heart pumping adrenaline sensation Mm. of the difficulty and the, like the, it feels like I'm facing up against something that's that like insurmountable odds, you know? Mm. It's almost, it almost is like a sense of exercise, mm. like those really hard levels on Wii sports where you're sword fighting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh man. You get so into it and you, you're, you speaking of escapism, you, yeah, you just lose all sense of your mm. responsibilities, everything around you. And it's just accomplishing that goal. Mm. Nothing like it for me in the world. Mm. Yeah. A good, difficult game. I'm curious as to what we all think about the setting. They could have done anything. They could have done anything. And they went with this 1940s detective story, film noir vibe as like the first real holodeck episode. Um, I don't know. Like, how do you, how do you feel like that works as like that as the inaugural holodeck story? Like, does it work? Do they, do they pull it off? Yeah. Yes and no. Um, it's left a little vague, but I think what they were shooting for is, is Picard trying to test his, tactical still skills in another capacity mm. right like that's his escape he still wants to use his brain he still wants to to be challenged but it's like yeah just in a different setting mm. it almost sells it it almost gets there then it kind of gets lost in just like more like a him trying to escape from his work day him mm. trying to escape from the the, mm. the grind mm-hmm. um i think it's interesting that it's somewhat mundane. Mm. I mean, there's some excitement because it's a detective story and we have this like kind of mob boss. But, and and um, Picard seems so, he, do, he doesn't hesitate. Like, like he's just like, this time, this place, let's go. Like he knew where he wanted to go and he went there directly. Um, so it does make me curious about why like why he was, I think you're, you've brought some of those points in, Aaron, as far as what might have drawn him to it, like this, getting to play this tactical role that's also like a puzzle, like engaging his brain in a way, but it's not work mm-hmm. brain. Um, but yeah, it is a curious kind of place to start. I also like have a daydream that there's just someone in the writing room that <laughs> just like really, they just really wanted to play this style. Like, let's be honest, like the costume designer was like, <laughs> 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 but we have this great store of 1940s costumes from whatever show was happening at the same time. Like, I think maybe that's where it came from. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking, I was like, I was trying to like, cause a lot of times when they do this kind of stuff, it is because this is available. 1988, I do believe, is the year Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out. Oh, man. I'm wondering if Warner Brothers, it's like Touchstone or whoever, had like, oh, the, yeah, it's all still available. You know, I'm like, it makes sense. They, they all, it came out the same year. I'm like, I wonder if Roger Rabbit, 
Thanks, Roger Rabbit, for giving for sure. us the big goodbye. Like, <laughs> like Margaret in costuming, they were like, hey, do you want some overtime? Sure. Mm. Throw some costumes at Star Trek. Okay. Yeah. When you get the industry side of it, it like all the magic just kind of breaks down. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like, oh, like yeah. it's available. It was cheaper that day, so we just used these costumes. We made an episode and oh, yeah. it made it work. It is an interesting... Um, you know, we, we've been watching specifically the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation, which is very, this is arguably the most utopian Star Trek ever gets, like this first season. Like, the, this just Gene Roddenberry doing, like, I want to show people this vision for the future. That's so much what the first season is of Star Trek The Next Generation. Gets a lot of criticism because people say like, well, it doesn't leave a lot of stakes for stories because of how perfect everything is. But he was really trying to go gung ho on this. Like, I want to show people like concerned about people's health at work and this and that and blah, 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 and all the correct and proper things. And it is interesting. So it is interesting that when they do this holodeck idea, it's an interesting kind of juxtaposition. This 1940s private eye guns, you know. And it's like, they never even talk about, like, Mr. Hill, we want the item. It doesn't even matter what it is. It doesn't even matter. It's just like this thing we want and give it to us, Mr. Hill. The widget. Yeah. It's the item. The the item. Um, it's an interesting juxtaposition for, like, their kind of... Because at this point in the show, I feel like it's still very stiff. Especially like like the scenes on the bridge and everything. Everyone's kind of doing this, wearing this body hugging onesie, <laughs> and I have to just have the best posture. And you know what I mean. But when they're all in the holodeck, they're all like wearing the suits. Like Data, Picard, who are arguably the stiffest characters on the show, feel pretty loose and just having a good time. It's an interesting juxtaposition, I think, for like everything else. This kind of perfect. Blah, 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 Captain. You know? Yeah, too, me too, boss. I'd love to take a gander. <laughs> I love we get um, Picard on the bridge in his 40s suit. Like, the energy yeah. of him just coming in, like, you interrupted my playtime. All right, <laughs> I want to say these things of this language that I learned. But he's just wearing... His suspenders and his tie, and it's a very um, fun contrast of energy and aesthetic to see him in his 40s get up yep. and everyone else in their Trekkie attire. Trekkie onesies. They're Trekkie onesies. <laughs> they are onesies. I, I picked up, I thought he was playing like the costume was like giving him the confidence to go forth and say these lines. You know what I mean? Absolutely. He got to be his hero. Yeah. And and then that's what presents, and he kills it. It's interesting to think about just, and of course Patrick Stewart's impeccable Shakespearean training. Ah, Claxonly, Barbanarni, Conic, Ah, Trasola, Ross, Trasola. My nerd not coming out. I have the whole thing memorized. Thank you. <laughs> don't judge. Don't judge me. There, please don't. Me. Please don't judge me. There's too late. Too late. Oh, too late. <laughs> um, I guess the Harada were. They were originally supposed to appear on screen at the climax of this, 
That was like the big reveal where it's like they actually get to see what they look like at the end. They just didn't have the budget to do it. Mm. But I guess the whole idea was that they were going to be this insect-like, wasp-like thing. And it was like this really big idea. It's like, we just don't have the money to do it. So, sorry. I mean, you can go like Greek on it. It's just it's happening. That your imagination is doing. Put more. the mask on. Yeah. Well, I mean, like Greek in the way of like um, often off screen. Yeah. Off the, stage. The Greek violence typically happens off stage, and then someone comes on and gives a monologue. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> we don't. We get to just imagine what these insect creatures look like. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It would have been cool to see, but I do kind of like that we it. it it somehow thematically works for the episode that's so much about imagination and getting to live in imagination, but you don't actually get to see the Harada. It just lives in your imagination, which in so many ways is more powerful. Um, Especially if you're low budget, they probably were better off letting imagination do sure. the job. <laughs> I'm sure this was, even though they probably had all that's on hand, I'm sure it was probably a more expensive episode for them to do. Like, cause it all looks cool. Like the cars and when they're on the streets and everything like, this is awesome. Like they're do- like, it feels great. I think, um, should mention that this episode won a Peabody Award. Um, If you're not familiar with the Peabody Award, the Peabody Award specifically award excellence in television broadcasting, not necessarily fiction, just excellence in television broadcast, broadcasting generally. Um, This was the first hour long TV drama to win the Peabody Award for that year. Like, um, I don't, and I'm not sure why, but like they gave it to this episode. Like, because a lot of times they give it to like news broadcasts and stuff like that. They gave it to this episode this year. Interesting to think about. Like, they gave it to this, huh? Excellence in TV broadcasting. Yeah, you don't often hear that somebody got a Peabody Award. A Peabody Award. Yeah. yeah. Um, this also did win an Emmy for costume design. Um, William Ware Tice. Tease Tice. He, he, he did all, he did all the, the uniforms and everything for the show and I think for the old show but he did all like the old school costumes and everything so he did win an Emmy for this this episode well deserved on point the costumes are great I love the little flat I uh, like the what do you call her like uh, uh, the, the girl who is also like at the police processing Toots, station as she says, I think that's the only reference we get to come a on, name Twits. come hey, on Twits. let's go that red dress with the crazy hat with the, the feather mm. you know and she I was jewelry yeah. and vibrant colors fishnets I'm like and that's just like you don't see a lot of people walking around in fishnets nowadays in terms of like semi-appropriate attire I mean you see people walking around in fishnets but like you don't but it was in a it's You're trying to make a statement when you're wearing fishnets. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Like she's wearing fishnets, like with like a feather hat. Oh, wow, I'm... fashion, fascinating. <laughs> Come on, Twitch. <laughs> Come on, Twitch. Let's go. <laughs> any um, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? I want to know what your holodeck, both of you. What would be your holodeck choice? Oh Jesus! If you got to program your holodeck. What would you program? I haven't thought about that nearly enough, honestly. I feel embarrassed. What would my holodeck be? You know, it's tough. It's like, I feel like the whole point of the holodeck is to insert yourself into your favorite stories, right? So it's like, 
I would I would put myself in. I would say, what's it like to be Han Solo? What's it like to be Indiana Jones? What's it like to be mm. Captain Picard? You know, I would I would go into all of my favorite things that I already have. What's it like to play as Gollum or or you know whatever, mm. and explore those kinds of stories that way. I think that would be my go-to holodeck experience or uh, sports. Uh, being able to just like dunk, feel like yeah. what, what it's like. Soccer to be legend, sure. Like f- power forward, just yeah, man. Aaron Cole, can you imagine? Come on, oh yeah. Sports is uh, sports have got to be insane in the holodeck or dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, come on! Obviously, everybody, everybody does dinosaurs. <laughs> that, that's the footnote to everyone's answer, but also dinosaurs. Asterix, my true answer is dinosaurs. But <laughs> dinosaurs excluded. There's that. There's that door in the the good place at the end. Spoilers. Di- it's di- basically the dinosaurs. holodeck where you get to experience any time and place you want. Yeah. Well, I'm going to I'm going to dinosaurs right away. Yeah. <laughs> it's a given. Obviously, what would what would your holodeck be, Adrian? Oh, um. Uh, I mean, if we can go to, like, a fantasy reality, definitely would be tempted to, like, Doctor Who. Like, I want to hang out with Matt Smith. Is that your doctor? David Tennant. Oh, I don't have one. Or the most... Um, oh, Jody. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Tony Whitaker. Yeah. Uh, I mean... It, also adorable. You might have. Well, then we get into a whole other question. Like, which doctor? Uh, who? I know. I know. I know. All of them. All of them. I know. All of them. Yeah. Um, or... I'm a big Sailor Moon fan. Wow. I would, I would jump into an anime. I would jump into Sailor Moon, Moon Kingdom, That's Warrior, Riot Land. Was it Ellen who was also mentioned being a Sailor Moon fan? I get for it. For Far Point? I've been reading about Sailor Moon and that tracks. I, I completely understand why you like Sailor Moon. <laughs> it's like a since I was a child, this mm. was an obsession. Especially like the Japanese dub. It's like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. it's good. If I had to do a fictional setting, it might be I might program the Silmarillion, J.R. Tolkien's the Silmarillion, into the holodeck and experience the whole thing, like the creation of the universe, <laughs> the el- wow. the elvish battles for Middle Earth in the beginning, and the war the war of the. Um, Oh my God! I mean, the Silmarils, the War of the Jewels, mm. trying to get the jewels back from uh, Morgoth before there was Sauron, when Sauron was just his little witch lieutenant before he became the big bad. All that shit. Oh my God! Just to experience, I, I'm I'm telling you, folks, this is this is getting really geeky. Um, <laughs> one of the most epic love stories I have ever read is the chapter in the Silmarillion. There's a whole book too now, Baden and Luthien. That whole chapter in the Silmarillion is like, this is like peak epic romance. Like, like the gods weep for just how epic their struggle is, and like the only like humans who were granted mortality was like barren because of how amazing. And then like Luthien is like the only elf who was like, you are also granted this. I'm like, oh. that whole chapter. I remember reading it. I was like, at the end, I was like what the fuck did I just read? 
babe, this is this is the most I can't I can't believe Amazon did not buy the rights to the Silmarillion. It would make the most perfect TV show. It's all episodic. Every chapter is its own thing. Oh my god, they're fucking idiots. Oh my <laughs> Jesus Christ. But please sponsor us, please. Please sponsor us Amazon, on Amazon podcasts everywhere. I will do so many reads for advertisers. You have no idea. Give me that money. Adriana, thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. Such a delight to have you on. Happy to be here. It's been far too long. Uh, far truly. too long. I know we all get caught up in our real world stuff, in quotes. In quote, real world <laughs> stuff. <laughs> real world. Oh, I guess we're both in nonprofits. It's not so dissimilar. <laughs> Nonprofit subscriptions. It's not too dissimilar. <laughs> Sounds fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you. So I, can, yeah, I, can, I can think of another word starting with F, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fuck. <laughs> you said it, not me. Sounds fuck, everyone. <laughs> um, we would, I would love to have you back on the podcast. Um, oh, all right. Oh, all right. <laughs> Watch more Star Trek with us. And maybe we'll get you on for some non-Star Trek if we do that every now and then. So, I'm a fan of it all. It's a good time. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, next time, um, the growing pains of the next generation will continue. We will be watching the episode known as Data Lore. Um this is going to be one of our first real looks at Mr. Data. It goes on to be probably the most beloved character in Star Trek The Next Generation, except for probably Captain Picard, or maybe even above Captain Picard, depending on who you ask. Um, and up to, the, up to this point in the show, he's been a bit of a mystery. We just know he's the android, but we don't know too much about him. So in this episode, we'll be getting a little more intimate look at Mr. Data for the first time. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Um, our good friend Mark Nielsen will be back on the show to talk about that um, one with us. Adrian, I, I do believe you know. I I think I've <laughs> seen him in passing. Just perhaps <laughs> the, the name rings a bell. Just in passing. Sometimes when I walk from my bed to the bathroom, I just see Mark passing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I mean by in passing. I think we share a PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we have shared custody of a PlayStation. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. Shared custody. <laughs> oh, Jeebus Christ, everyone. Um, we'll see you next time. We're going to have Mark Nelson on to talk about data lore. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share us your own Star Trek story, you can email us at storiedstartrek at gmail.com. Or you can visit our Discord server. You can find us by clicking on the link in the show description.